Hey everybody, this is Jessica and Natalie, and welcome to the Better Questions Podcast. Podcast. Yeah! Today is International Women's Day, so Dan and I have our wives here on the show hosting with us, Uh, but also we have them here because we're approaching a topic that would have been awkward if Dan and I were just talking about alone. Uh, We have an awesome guest on the show today. Her name is Danny Fankhauser. Uh, She's an author of a book called Shameless. How I Lost My Virginity and Kept My Faith. Dan, what are we talking about today? So today we are having a better conversation on sex. And uh, you'll notice Andrew is not here because he decided to bow out of this conversation. Yeah, he told us that he didn't really have anything to add to the topic. And uh, we decided we would bring our wives because we thought this would be a topic that would lend itself to having all perspectives, male and female. Obviously, as well, considering the topic, this episode does contain some sensitive content. So before you continue listening, you might want to just take a second to consider who else is within earshot of you. So here is our better conversation on sex. Danny, thanks so much for being here with us today. Would you mind just taking a quick second to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, totally. Um, And happy to be here. Uh, Thank you for having me. So my name is Danny Fankhauser, and I'm the author of Shameless, uh, How I Lost My Virginity and Kept My Faith. Um, It's a book I wrote and released about a year ago. Um, And my background is in journalism. Um, So I worked in media for several years. Now I I work in the technology field. Um, And, you know, as as someone who's always wanted to be a writer, um, I, I grew up in Southern California, what I consider sort of an idyllic childhood in the suburbs. Um, and as I got older, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll move to New York City, I'll have, you know, some more exciting experiences, something to, to really write about. And, and when I did that, I moved to New York, I realized that um, my upbringing and childhood was actually really, really fascinating. Uh, just, you know, once I kind of was exposed to a new culture. So, um, so that's really what my book ended up being about. Uh, the content in the book, um, starts and, uh, with my childhood, um, and what I was exposed to growing up in church, um, and then kind of leads up to, uh, when I first moved to New York and and make a, a pretty big decision. So, yeah. So will you talk to us a little bit more about that, Um, I grew up in the church. I'm curious, your experience growing up in there, what was the message that you were taught in regards to sex? Yeah, uh, I think the main message was don't do it, Um, especially, especially for, you know, when you're in junior high and high school, it's just, this is not, this is not something you can do and be a Christian. And, and I think that was what was destructive about it is that it was so black and white that it was like, if you're doing this, you're not really a Christian. And that, um, 
I really believed that. And so I believed that the kids I knew at school who were going to parties, who were drinking and having sex um, and saying that they were Christian going a couple times a year to church. I was like, oh, these people aren't real Christians. If they're a real Christian, they wouldn't be doing this. Um, and so it was very black and white. Uh, but I think in addition to that, um, I grew up in kind of, I guess, the the generation that read I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Um, and and I think the additional message was that it's not just um, intercourse that you should avoid. It's kind of everything. Uh, the, the longer you wait to kiss someone, the longer you wait to hold hands, the better. And so um, it was just this mindset that kind of, you know, the takeaway was like, oh, well, I should just avoid uh, romantic relationships because there's something there's something dangerous about them. About how long ago was that that you were growing up in the church? I guess I'll ask that first. Yeah, good question. Um, In the 90s, 90s, early 2000s is when I was growing up in church. Okay, do you feel like that is still the same message that's being taught in the church today or that it shifted some? Um, I do. And and I'm curious what your perspective on on this is, pastors. Um, But I... I still, there's a church here in San Francisco I go to sometimes, and, and San Francisco is a very, very progressive place, um, and and so, you know, the, the church has, the churches here are progressive on some issues, and then not so much on others, uh, very, very interesting, um, but yeah, even to this day, um, I hear, you know, messages from, you know, the head pastor in the main service that, uh, that still take this hard line, uh, no sex before marriage. Yeah, and uh, me and my wife were discussing this earlier today, um, just talking through this in preparation. And we both kind of realized that like, well, at least for me, um, growing up in church, I don't really ever remember there being any type of discussion uh, from the pulpit about sex in my home church. And now that I'm a pastor myself, and I kind of know how the behind, behind the scenes works, like usually when we do have messages like that we tell the parents ahead of time and then they like keep the kids out of the message if they want to so that may have happened at my home church with me when i was a kid and i just wasn't aware um and that but we were reflecting that that may not be the smartest thing to do like because what ended up happening for me was that then i never really got uh anybody but my youth minister and my parents telling me not to do it but it was never like here's the full a full explanation of what it is, and um, it just left too many holes and too, ma- too much shame and guilt uh, associated with that. I also think it's interesting you you uh, you mentioned the Kiss Dating Goodbye books, and I remember those vividly, and I've just found it interesting recently how that author has actually come back and kind of taken those books out of circulation and kind of said, hey, I was, I was wrong about this. Um, so I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on, on that development um, if we want to take the conversation that way but that's kind of been my my experience yeah yeah that's really interesting yeah and in regards to the the author i think he was 23 when he wrote those book that book um and that's something i think about a lot you know as i write and, and put stuff out on the internet is you know what what are the chances that you do 10 years down the line completely change your mind on something um and i think that's really humbling and um and so yeah i, I think that was 
that was a big step for him to um, to come out and say that. And because um, I think at the time, what he was writing was was what everyone else was saying, and and that's really why it took off. Um, so I, I think it's uh, I think it's a little unfair to to blame him for so much because he was just he was just part of a movement um, and just happened to be you know the poster child for it. Right. Absolutely. Um, so I'm also curious. We've talked about you know, some of the experiences we've had growing up uh, in the church in regards to how this wasn't really handled that great. What do you think are some of the assumptions most Christians have about sex? And then a follow-up, what are some misguided questions that you see Christians asking uh, that leads to them not handling it uh, with grace, but maybe more awkwardly? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the assumptions that that I definitely had, and I remember hearing um, in in college, I went to a Christian college as well, um, is sex as something that was binding and, you know, binding in kind of a a lifelong manner. Um, And and it's really interesting. There's, uh, I talk about oxytocin in, in my book, um, which is sort of the hormone that's released um, with intimate activities, but also with eye contact, um, with singing together. Um, and so, you know, one way that I like to think about this is, is that, you know, as humans, we make meaning out of things. Like we can say, when you shake hands, that means an agreement was made. And obviously, if if one person shakes hands and says this was an agreement, and the other one thinks that shaking hands means nothing uh, and backs out of it, then there someone's going to be very upset. And so, um, it's just you know, as humans, we decide like this this thing means something to me, and and someone else might decide it doesn't mean something to me. So I I think that's one of the assumptions that. I heard in church was that there was something um, like physically binding about it, whereas whereas I think more of what it was is is just a cultural expectation that that having sex was something to do with a, a lifelong commitment. Um, and so I think that's really interesting where you know two people can decide like, hey, we we think of it that way and that's what we want out of it, and that's great. And then you know other people can decide, you know that's not what it means to me and um, and for them, that's not what it means to them. So I know uh, we read your book, and in it you talked about um, instead of education, you felt like you were given fear, and that was something we talked about that we could relate with because we see that often with the students um, that we've worked with or even like what we grew up being taught and um, even worse, seeing this in boys who often turn turn to pornography for their education because no one is educating them, and so they're curious. Um, what harm have you seen come from this lack of education, and how do you think that um, we should go about educating? Yeah, that's a great question, and I, I think it's so true that, um, I mean, this is something we've never dealt with before, but there's just information everywhere. I was I was talking to a friend earlier this week who uh, grew up in India, and um, sh- she always assumed that uh, the Americans were not religious, and which is funny because Americans definitely are very religious, 
Um, but it was because she was exposed to TV shows and movies and, you know, our, the TV shows and movies coming out of the U S are, uh, definitely don't talk about religion very much. So, so I think it's so interesting that, um, that, you know, information that we're exposed to influences our reality. And so it's, it's so true that, uh, you know, if you're not provided with education, you're going to get it somewhere else and it's going to be very confusing. Um, and so, yeah, I think in terms of like what we can do about education, um, I think the fear is uh, in the Christian community is that if you educate people about sex, that they're they're going to go and do it right away. And that's actually not the case. Um, I think I think it's actually the opposite of that. I think when you're educated about something that that empowers you to make good choices um, and and actually probably, you know, wait until later uh, to start trying stuff out. Um, whereas if, if you don't know anything about it, I think that that's where you get into situations, whether you're a boy or girl, where you're, you don't really know what's happening. And so you're more likely to, um, to do something that maybe you're not comfortable with because, because you feel out of place. Yeah, I thought that was um, a really a really strong point as I was looking at my own upbringing, because for me, so much of what I learned about uh, sex beyond the message I was just getting from the church, like you said, which was don't do it, was either coming from other kids my age at school or from media depictions that I was seeing. And then as I've entered into a married relationship, I've had to unlearn a lot of things uh, because of that. And so I guess my question is, what what does should that conversation look like from a church aspect? Because I'm a, a youth pastor, so I work with junior high and high school students. And sometimes I feel like this shouldn't be my job to do this education, but may, maybe it should. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, this woman, uh, Tina Shermer Sellers. She also wrote a book. It's her book is is focused more on psychologists who are um, who are helping their their patients deal with uh, you know shame around sex and and having a Christian upbringing. Um, but uh, I interviewed her. I I did a, a nine episode podcast related to my book and. So she said something really interesting because she teaches at the graduate level and she has um, she has her students do like a sexual autobiography as a class assignment. And she's done this for years. And it was around the year 2000 or so that she noticed students coming in with a lot of shame. Uh, and that wasn't something that was the case before. And so it's kind of um, people who are my generation who um had had grown up with like the abstinence only movement that they were teaching in schools. Um, and that's when that started. Um, so I, I think it's, and so I bring that up because I think if there wasn't this misinformation or, or shame based education around sex, then it might not be your responsibility as a pastor, but there's been this whole phase where uh, where the church, I, I think, made a mistake in the way that they addressed it. Um, and now there's kind of like the having to clean up for that. And um, and I, it's so interesting. But, you know, it's it's like this is what my experience was. I couldn't just say, like, oh, I've changed my mind. And so I'm going to move on with my life. It's um, 
anything to do with shame, I think hits us a really deep way. And so we can change our perspective on something, but there's the unlearning is, is a lot deeper than that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a difficult question to say like how, how much you're responsible for. I, I think, you know, definitely um, providing resources for the parents as well as the students, I think would go a long way. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I think it's, it's a really good question. What, what do you think that looks like as far as our, our role in equipping parents to better have those conversations with their kids? Cause that's been something I've been trying to think through a lot as well. I mean, when I, when I, did my podcast, one of the questions that I asked people a lot was, was kind of like, how do I, how do I talk to my own parents about this? Um, (laughs) Which is funny. It's usually like, how do you talk to your kids about sex? And for me, it was like, well, how do I talk to my parents about sex? Um, And one of the best pieces of advice I got was, you know, for me to go to my parents and say like, hey, how did your parents talk to you about sex? What worked for you? What didn't work for you? Um, and, and to get them thinking about it from that perspective, um, I think that kind of takes the pressure, pressure off of them. Uh, and so I think that's a really interesting way, um, because we're all kind of given some sort of information or lack of information. Um, and, and if we think about it that way, then we think like, oh, okay, well, how do I want to change that for the next generation? Um, because it's something that everyone has that firsthand experience with, whether, whether they were given the right amount of information or they were given the information in the wrong way. Um, you know, they probably have an opinion on, on how they would have rather heard about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I've kind of been sitting here, uh, I, I personally did not read your book, so I apologize. Um, I'd like to, but some of our listeners may not have either. And, I'm kind of wondering, like, uh, a lot of people might get defensive at this point going, well, you know, we did the best we could, and ultimately we were trying to, you know, follow the Bible. And they have this assumption that, like, what the Bible has to say about it, uh, for all people, young people, it's very clear. And uh, you mentioned how the message came out black and white, and I think a lot of people go, well, isn't that how the Bible describes it? And so I'm just wondering if you could um, speak on a little bit how you uh, maybe reinterpret some verses uh, or how how you now view the Bible, or even if the Bible is your first go-to place um, for where you have landed now. So I just wondered if you could explain where you're at now and kind of where you base that. Yeah, yeah. And I think my journey was, I grew up evangelical and then went to a college that was Nazarene, which is still somewhat evangelical, but through that process, I met um, a lot of people who had different Christian backgrounds than I did. And going into college, I really had no idea that all Christians didn't believe the same things. Um, and so that that opened up my eyes to a lot. I mean, growing up, I was um, a seven-day creationist, and, and a lot of people in my college were not and did not believe in creation at all, and they were still Christians. And so that that really opened things up for me in terms of just looking at the Bible a different way and and understanding that um, that there's you know there's the core message of it and then there's a lot of details and and a lot of things that have changed over the years um, and like I said you know different Christians believing different things I think um, I think there's some humility in that 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 is really healthy and um, I for people who take a different stance than me on it, you know, a lot of my friends do. Um, and it's, it's 
with me publishing the book, it's been great to have that conversation with them because I think for me, there was a lot of fear that like my more conservative Christian friends would not want to be friends with me anymore because I disagreed with them on something. But it's been really wonderful to see that um, that they're not those kinds of Christians, uh, that they're, you know, willing to still, you know, respect me and and be in a relationship with me even though uh you know we disagree on something that that for some people is is very important well that's that's really good to hear i think that's one of the goals of our podcast because so often that's not the experience people have in disagreement uh so you're very fortunate this topic is mostly talked about from two polar opposites, either it's always bad or it's just always good. How can we approach this topic in a more balanced way? Yeah, yeah, and I, I totally see what you mean. Um, I think I think that's what, uh, you know, my experience growing up was that, you know, seeing it as black and white and then seeing, like, pop culture doing the other extreme. Um, and then what I found as... I, I had a lot of friends who were not Christians and, and who were in, you know, maybe a com- committed relationship where they were having sex, but they weren't married. Um, and so I just ended up being exposed to a lot of versions that were not one of those extremes. Um, for example, I was anti-gay for a long time. And then when I was in grad school, I had a classmate who was gay who was in a long distance relationship. And I was kind of like, oh, I thought that like being gay was like very like physical and promiscuous and you know, you're in a long distance relationship. It seems to be about the personal relationship and not about the physical act of sex. And so that really opened my eyes uh, to see things differently. Um, So I, to get back to your question, I think conversations like this are exactly what we, we should do. Um, Just talking about it more because I think the more we talk about it, the, the more we find that most of us are not at one of those extremes. Most of us are, are somewhere in the middle or, you know, have stories of um, that represent something in the middle. So uh, we just did a high school night where we talked about shame and working with students. We hear shame most associated with sex. And so I'm wondering if you know why you think this is. I think especially in, in Christianity, historically, there's that thought that the body is weak and evil. Um, I think sexual desire drives you to do things that uh, that maybe like. I think love and sexual desire um, kind of challenge <laughs> uh, reasoning, um, <laughs> for lack for lack of a better description. Um, and so I I think that gets people feeling like um, there's something deep and dark about it. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating. So yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a good answer for it, but um, I definitely think it's been part of the human experience for a very long time. I, I found it interesting earlier when you talked about how people um, in your generation, especially are carrying so much shame and you're, you're you're not super far removed from our generation either. I think I've noticed that a ton. People my age and a little bit older than me ha- that grew up in the church have a lot of shame associated with sex. Even I hear people talk about how w- once they have entered into a married relationship and it became, according to their teaching, like 
now no longer off limits, they still really struggled in their sexual relationships because they still carried that shame. And I, I've been trying to figure out why this one thing is so much different because there were also a lot of other things growing up that I was told in the church not to do and to stay away from. But I've never felt like those have carried as much shame as, as this topic. And I I wonder, do you think that that has anything to do some with, especially when you're a teenager and you're starting to experience a lot of these feelings and desires for the first time, I feel like no one ever told me that those are like good and healthy and normal to have. Do you think that that also is where some of the shame comes from? Definitely. And, and I think it's, um, I think part of it is, is how the, you know, Christian culture has treated it, but part of it is really just culture at large and just the human experience. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen this show pen 15. Um, it's on Hulu. Um, but there's, there's an episode, uh, it's about two girls who are best friends and they're, they're in junior high and there's, um, and, and also I, before I describe the next part, I should say the, the two actresses are the creators of the show and they're 30 and they're playing 13 year olds, uh, in the show, which is (laughs) fascinating. Um, but so there's an episode that's about masturbation. And, um, and so one of the girls is, you know, she, she kind of gets to that point where she starts experimenting, but you know, she's, she's fascinated by it, but she's also like terrified that someone's going to find out and, um, is extremely shameful about it. Uh, and so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really fascinating because I think, um, I think outside of Christian culture, culture at large, um, there is, there is a lot of shame, um, surrounding sexual desire and it's, it just seems to be just part of our human experience. So this is kind of going back, and I even feel a little bit uncomfortable to ask you this, which just kind of plays in more to the point. But when you were talking about the show that you were watching and one of the characters was masturbating, something that um, normally isn't talked about in the church or probably by many parents, at least not by my parents, is or was, um, is just self-exploration. And just kind of wanting to know your thoughts um, of obviously do think that that this is harmful, that this is not really talked about, and how how do we approach that conversation? Um, and I'm also kind of curious, since I read your book, of like, if that would have been talked about in your family or in your church, how do you think that that might have changed your experience? Yeah, and thank you for asking that. Um, so I, I do talk about this a bit in the book, because my experience was that the church did talk about masturbation. It told boys not to masturbate and then didn't tell anything to women about that. For women, it was just like, don't have sex. <laughs> so so I actually didn't discover until much later in life that women actually could masturbate, that that, that was a, a thing that was physically possible. Um, and so I, I, for me, that was extremely um, problematic because it was just something that I didn't know about my own body. And, and I would almost say it's, it's borderline abusive. Um, I don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, um, FGM, uh, female genital mutilation. Uh, it's something done in parts of, um, Africa, uh, and, you know, parts of different religions where, um, there's a couple different ways it happens, but, um, but in one way it's when girls are 
a young age, maybe like seven years old, uh, their clitoris is actually removed um, by, you know, someone who's kind of not a doctor. Um, and, and so I think like, for me, not being told that the female body was capable of, of pleasure was, was in some sense similar, um, you know, and it, it builds that narrative that the woman's body is there to please the man uh, versus being its own autom- autonomous person. Um, so I think that is, for me as a woman, I think that was the most destructive um, part of not talking about that was um, the way that that framed things in, in a narrative for me. Um, but I do think like the upside of talking about it, um, in a way that, you know, I think our culture at large and, uh, you know, in the show as well, it's, it kind of builds this that, um, that there is something shameful about, you know, having pleasure by yourself, you know, it's presented as like, oh, well, like you, you don't have a partner. So this is like a shameful thing. And, and that's just really not the case. I think if, people are um, able to talk about that and, and not have shame around it. I think probably you'll see people make more responsible choices romantically um, just because they're more familiar with their own bodies and, uh, you know, kind of have more ownership around it. I still um, have this mental picture that I, I think I was taught in church where um, I was taught if I had multiple sexual partners then on my wedding day it'd be like I was holding hands with all these men I just have this picture of me in a white dress yet having all these men along on my side and I I wonder just because I just don't know I haven't experienced it um is it possible for people to have casual sex without an emotional attachment. I, I mean, I've heard people say that, but I just, I don't, I don't know. I, what's your take on that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I've heard like a similar story. I think actually a castating goodbye starts out with, uh, with a similar scenario. So that, that was a really popular one that went around. Um, so I also had the great duct tape analogy too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about about how we make meaning about things. And so as Christians, it's, it sounds like all of us here grew up with exposed to the same ideas. We were taught that sex means lifelong commitment. And so for me, that first time that I had sex um, afterwards, I was kind of like, well, you know, that didn't, uh, you know, it's not, not part of a relationship, not married to the guy. It's fine. But I, I still afterwards was kind of like, should I, should I try to date him? You know, where is this going to go? Is it not going to go anywhere? And so it's, it's so interesting because I was taught that my entire life. And so I was still like, okay, well, I don't want to date this person, but I had sex with him. So maybe I should want to date him. And, and so that's confusing. Um, because it is whatever meaning that you give to it. Um, and, you know, I've had other experiences where I had no interest in, in, you know, seeing the person for a period of time. So it's, I, I can definitely relate to both. Like, I think, I think you can have the casual sex and not have that emotional connection. And then you can meet someone you're in love with. And then sex means a very different thing. So it's, it's, 
I think it can differ one person to the next, but it can also differ for the same person, one relationship to the next. Um, And I think that's where it's, it's education, but also really communication because it, it is very destructive if you have two people and they have a different expectation. Obviously, if one person thinks, thinks that sex means love and one person thinks that it doesn't mean anything, that is going to be a very bad situation. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think especially for people who maybe were grown up with like, oh, sex should be only in marriage and then they step away from that there's still the question of, well, what does it mean? And it's a pretty big question um, to figure out. Uh, You know, it's, you don't, you don't just decide that it means nothing. Um, I think there's a lot of middle ground. Something else I was really curious to get your opinion on, as I've just been trying to figure out what this conversation looks like in the church, and particularly in the context with junior high and high school students. Um, you, you talked earlier about how there's this fear that if we, if we get into the education side of sex, then it's like the same thing as condoning it. Or, well, if we tell kids these things then they're just going to all go and do it. And so because we don't teach any of these things, it creates a lot of harmful situations. And I think the one I'm seeing most prevalent right now, especially with uh, the Me Too movement stories, is um, conversations around consent. Like, I never once was taught anything about consent in the church or any other location, really. That's something I've just learned in the last, like, couple years of my life, what that actually means and looks like, and ways that it's abused. Uh, and then also just like objectification. I see that a ton, especially in some of our male students that we work with of like viewing women as an object for my pleasure. And I'm just curious when it comes to these situations we're seeing all the time, how do we approach that side of the conversation with sex in the church? Yeah, that's a really big question. Um, and, and I think it's really fascinating because it's, it is an issue in, in the larger culture too, that everyone's, um, you know, kind of addressing right now. I had about a year ago, I had kind of a, a, a strange <laughs> experience on a date where after the date was over, it was like the date was fine. I was saying goodnight to the guy. I was like eh, kind of 50-50 on whether I really wanted to see him again. And so I went to give him a hug. And then and then I was like, uh, I think he wants to kiss me. And so then I was like, oh, whatever, I'll just kiss him. And and then so we kiss. And then he's like, oh, I, I like it when the, um, the woman in, initiates. And so then I go home and I'm like, what is he talking about? Um, because I didn't, I thought that he initiated that. And once I had thought it through, I realized that, um, that what I had noticed is that his, uh, that I looked at him and his eyes were looking towards my lips. And so then I took that as like a cue that he wants to kiss me. And then maybe like, I actually did initiate it. And it so I tell that story because it is so complicated. Like I, in that moment, I didn't think about what I wanted. I thought about what I thought he wanted. And, um, and so that's where I think 
we have all of these cultural assumptions where it's like, sure, the, the men are objectifying the women, but the women also carry the weight of these cultural assumptions that women are there for men's pleasure. Um, and so it's a really deep topic uh, to get into. And, and I think, you know, figuring out the age appropriate ways to talk about it is a very big challenge. Um, but I do think that it's, it's important and it's becoming even more important um, to, to have that dialogue. Absolutely. And to take that maybe just one step further, like, do you think there's a correlation perhaps with like how this topic is often not addressed at all or addressed poorly with all the like allegations of abuse we see come out of the church? Uh, is there a correlation in your mind? And also kind of tacking on another question of that is, if so, what do you wish the church had taught you and what do you wish the church would be teaching today to maybe help help that not be a thing yeah um i think there i think there is a correlation just um i mean it's it's just kind of like the the patriarchal culture both in the church and outside of the church uh that's not definitely not a problem specific to church um that that i think for the people who are in power they uh their bias is to protect people like them. And so you've got men at the top who are in power who want to protect other men. And, and so, you know, when women um, cite some sort of abuse that happens, they end up being the one who gets silenced. Um, and so, so I think that's, um, I think that is a really deep problem. And, and I think in terms of, you know, what, what can be done or what can be talked about, um, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, I think just like, you know, the concept of worthiness, I think is really core to Christianity. And, um, and I think when, when you truly believe that, that you're worthy of love and respect, I think you're better able to speak up when it's not happening. Um, and so I think that's one way to address it, uh, in kind of a positive way is just getting back to that core, um, and, you know, teaching people that, that they are worthy of respect. And, and that means, you know, not doing things that they're not comfortable with and not putting up with, with situations where they're not comfortable. Yeah, I really like that. I like that a lot. It reminded me of how Brené Brown talks about um, the antidote of shame is empathy. And I feel like that's another, along with telling people how worthy they are, they are how God truly sees them as sons and daughters, it's kind of a form of like, it's not truly empathy, but it's it's similar. It's kind of like turning it and showing them like, no, you're valuable. You're a human being. You're worthy of respect. And um, I see you. I see your pain. How do you think as the church, we can best come alongside people to help them heal when they're carrying deep-seated shame uh, and especially cause I see it from two different sources. Some are carrying it because of the church, uh, but others are carrying it just because, uh, you know, when, when you're, a when you're a, uh, teenage girl or even not a teenage girl and you have sex with a guy and they, like immediately after just completely disappear. Like 
that no matter what you've been taught, it's probably hard to not feel shame and a complete lack of worth in that moment. Like, how do we begin to help people heal from the shame that they experience with sex? Yeah. So, I mean, at its core, um, I think, I think we define guilt as I've done something wrong and shame as there's something wrong with me. Um, and so I think it goes back to that idea of worthiness. Um, like if, you know, if someone rejects you in a romantic relationship, it's, it's kind of like, Oh, you know, is, is my hair the wrong color or (laughs) is it because I'm like too tall or something like that? Like you, I think that's so natural and so human to, to be like, Oh, if I had just been better, he would still want to date me. Um, and so, yeah, I think it goes back to that idea of, of like, sometimes people, people are just bad people or they don't want to date you or whatever. Um, and it's not you, you are, you are wonderful and perfect exactly the way that you are. So I, I think that message is really important. Um, and I think the other side of it is, you know, when the shame comes from the church, I, I think it's important to, um, to take that stance where you're open-minded and and you do emphasize that it's okay if some of us have different opinions on these things and um, you're still welcome here, you know, as a, as a whole person Um, and, you know, being open to having discussions like this. um, I think that really goes a long way in, uh, in, you know, giving people that space to, um, to ask questions. Um, Another thing that I, I think I talk about this in my book as like just defining who God is because I always believed God is love. But then when it came to like sex outside of marriage, it was like, oh, well, God's really mad about this, this one thing. He's not okay with it. Uh, and so I think getting back to that and like the mental picture I had was like, you're, you're this little kid who like uh, trips and scrapes your knee, you know, is is God like, oh, you shouldn't have done that? Or is God going to sit down with you and comfort you and give you a Band-Aid? Like, <laughs> I think right. it's the second one. And so, um, so yeah, I think sometimes in relationships, romantic relationships, we make really bad decisions. Like, we sleep with someone that we should not be sleeping with, uh, maybe more than once. And, and so then it's like, okay, well, as a church, like, are you going to be like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. That's why you're sad. Or are you going to be like, yeah, that really, that really sucks. It's, it's very like normal for you to, to feel hurt and we're going to come for you. Do you think that that lack of talking about it at all or only talking about it in the negative also creates this idea from a young age that your body is bad? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Short answer. Definitely. Um, yeah, definitely not talking about it. And, Another thing that goes along with that is uh, is also using the right words for different body parts. Um, I think you know. I think that builds into the the shame that you know if you're if you have like a fun name for the vagina and don't just call it a vagina. I think that kind of tells kids like, oh, this is this is bad. It's something you shouldn't be talking about. Whereas if you're very straightforward and just call things uh, their actual names, I think that. Um, opens up a lot, a lot more comfort in having those discussions and understanding your own body. How would you, how would you answer a question like, what is the purpose of sex? Like in your, in your own personal opinion at this point in your life, what would you say the purpose of sex is? 
Yeah. Um, the purpose of sex. I, I think one thing that I like to say is that sex is more than just intercourse um, because there's so many different intimate activities that, that people can take part in. So that's kind of the first part of it. Um, and yeah, I think the purpose of sex is, is intimacy. Um, I mean, and it's, it's one way of intimacy. Um, I think there's so many other ways like having shared experiences together um, you know, making eye contact. Uh, <laughs> and so, so I think it's part of that. I think it's part of um, expressing care and love for another person. And, and one thing that was really interesting to me um, was, you know, there's stereotypes of men versus women. And I think I was always exposed to the stereotype of, of like, men want the physical right away, whereas men, women want the emotional intimacy before the physical intimacy. Um, and, and so that's a stereotype and I think each person is different, but I, I do think that those things build on one another. Um, and I've definitely found that sometimes the physical intimacy can open someone up to better connect emotionally and vice versa. Um, and so I think, uh, I think that's something important to think about when you decide how intimacy plays a part in the relationship. Absolutely. Um, you know, the name of our show is the Better Questions Podcast. And I, I'm just curious to have your opinion on when you think of this topic, you think about sex, think about how the church has talked about it, think about where it is now. I'm just wondering if you can think of off the top of your head, um, what questions should we be asking um, as Christians, as human beings? Uh, what questions should we be asking that will be better, that will lead to um, greater discussion, that will lead to greater education, greater understanding, and also that could potentially lead to unity um, between two different you know, camps of people that interpret the Bible differently. What questions should we be asking? Yeah, and I think, you know, when I think about this issue of, of sex before marriage, I, I think the better question is really what is the purpose of being a Christian. And it's because it's so much bigger than than just this one thing. Um, and that's really what what changed my mind on the topic was, I felt like when I thought about purity, it was like, okay, how do I, how do I get through life and never get hurt in a romantic relationship? Like if I, if I just follow the sex rule, if I just don't have sex before marriage, then God's going to provide the perfect husband. And then we're going to have like a really great sex life and we're always going to be happy. And so I, I think there was a lot of dis disillusionment there where I, I kind of felt like that wasn't what Christianity was about. That wasn't God's great plan for my life. <laughs> um, and so so the way that I look at it now is, you know, I, I can have a romantic relationship that might end and one person might get hurt. Um, and that doesn't mean that it was a bad relationship for me to have. Uh, that actually might mean there was a lot of personal growth for both of us. Um, and sometimes, you know, you have a relationship where someone does something hurtful and then uh, and that, that actually deepens the relationship because you're able to resolve it and forgive the other person. And so when I think about, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? I think my question is, um, are we trying to avoid all pain or are we trying to um, to experience and to give love? Uh, and, and yeah, for sure. Um, man, I'm I'm really thankful for this conversation, for having you. And uh, 
I just, uh, I don't know if we have, if anybody else has anything, but I just thought um, we could start to wrap up. I just was sitting here going like, man, what could be another question? And I really just realized like, I'd love for you to have an opportunity. We've talked about a lot of things already, but if there's anything else um, that you just want to say to our listeners surrounding this topic that we haven't asked about yet, I just wanted to give you an opportunity um, to really just speak to them and uh, to say anything else you haven't been able to yet. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. This has been a fascinating conversation. And I, I think the fact that you guys are including it in your podcast is is really wonderful um, just because, you know, it's, it's starting to be a conversation, but I think there's a long way to go um, in talking about it. So um, I think that's really great. Um, I don't know that there's anything else I would add. Um, yeah, I think um, I think for anyone listening, I, you know, I, everything we've talked about today is there's just a lot of good questions. Um, and so I think, you know, if, if you found this conversation interesting, there's, there's a lot more to, to look into. Um, I, so on my, so I have a website for my book, shamelessthebook.com with a blog. Uh, and so there is a blog post that I think it's like, uh, 10 books that, uh, that deal with purity culture. Um, so if you are looking for more resources, I would point you in that direction. And is there anywhere else where our listeners can go to find uh, more stuff that you've done? Yes, definitely. Um, so yeah, so shamelessthebook.com uh, will have everything. There's a podcast I did, True Love, No Shame, um, interviewed a bunch of really fascinating people uh, on that. Um, and then I did just make a Instagram account for my book. So, um, that's also Instagram, um, shameless. The book is the username. So you can follow me there for more information about the book. Uh, right now it's on Kindle and print and, um, audiobook coming soon. Uh, I recorded it and I'm hoping, so audible is, is has very high audio quality standards. So I'm hoping it makes it through this time. If not, I'll have to go back and edit it some more. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being with us today. It was uh, really great to have you. Yeah, thank you guys. This, this was a lot of fun. having Danny on the show today. Thanks for listening. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast for more episodes. Be sure to follow the Better Questions podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and if you're interested in seeing the video as well as audio, we are on YouTube. That's right. So check out the links in the description for more on our guest and her work, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much.